When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Product Coffee, where product professionals from Ibotta share stories, advice, and thoughts on all things product over a cup of coffee. Grab a cup of joe and join us to level up your product career 30 minutes at a time. I'm one of your co-hosts, Zach LaGreca. Kevin Gentry. Patrick Kuchikowski. Jamie Douglas. And today's topic is how to unblock a decision and move your product forward. So I guess the first question to the group is, uh, what's the last decision that you had that you had to unblock and you felt like you had reached a point where you were completely blocked? (laughs) So I can talk to this because it happened yesterday. (laughs) So one of the new features we're working on is kind of a tutorial kind of onboarding mechanism. And while it seems very straightforward on the surface because we're using components that other teams have built and tool tips here and there, from an architecture perspective, it ended up being rather complex. Less so from what, the, what we want to do in the immediate short term, but really what is the future of this? So in the next two months, we can see, yes, we can do this. We can do it on the client side, so on the user's mobile device. But then we're like, well, what happens if marketing wants to add another tip here? And then what if someone else wants another thing? Well, now we need to build this microservice and this microservice should be listening to events. And if we're doing an event-driven architecture, how do we consume those events? Well, now there's a slowdown. Uh, Is that gonna be acceptable for a consumer? Now we're gonna re-architect it this way. And we left a hour-long meeting having gone nowhere (laughs) and then probably spent another two hours in offline Slack messages and conversations trying to determine what to do. The only way I was able to really unblock this was to basically remove that uncertainty. And so in my experience, that's always been the major hangup for when you run into these kind of roadblocks. Generally, it's an architecture decision, waiting on a stakeholder. And for me, what I finally had to do is ask the team to scope down what we were doing. So it was just the true bare bones MVP Let's only think about that solution for now. It may not be perfect because we may make some, you know, we introduce some tech debt by not having the future state, but it let us move forward. So now it's like the next two months we at least have a clear roadmap for. So the decision you were kind of unblocking at that point is whether or not to invest in the future up front. Exactly. Is that, is that right? Yeah, okay. Yeah, it's the what is do we essentially want to build for the end state now? Right. right. If that end state is not certain. For it. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that's always interesting. I don't know exactly. I mean, we've had a couple of those scenarios too. Of like, um, yeah, how do we incorporate a solution in the short term and in, um, not block something in the long term? Or basically, you're trying to predict the future, which is kind of tough to do. Um, we also have this kind of architecture, and I, I bet most companies have this, where they have some monolithic architecture, and they're moving to 
the new hotness, right? Like there's always some transition of old technology to a new. And, um, you know, some of the decisions I've had to make recently is do we do stuff in the old system versus the new system? Mm -hmm. And then what kind of trade-offs are you making by, you know, maybe getting to something quickly in the old system but introducing some tech debt or um, doing something in the new system but not getting it soon enough? Is it, in those cases, was it a business value versus, you know, long-term stability, or how did you resolve it? Yeah, I mean, it's a little bit of both, because our, and it depends on the mission of what you're trying to do and accomplish and, you know, the goals that you set out, but the team that we're supposed to be, uh, our strategy is to build ads that scale. So scale is a key word there, so a lot of (laughs) the work that we're doing is not in the old system because it's not scalable. So, um... But, you know, other things come up along the way that it's like, well, we can get to something fast um, and it would drive a lot of value, but then, it, you know, it would push off the long term of being scalable. So to me, you know, we're still in that phase, but we've, we've made the decision to stay with the scale and in the new system versus doing something in the old system partially because of all the other inputs that go into that decision, right? Like, we don't have developers that are familiar with the old system. Okay, so that's going to be a hang-up, right? Like, because there's going to be a learning curve there, and I'm sure they're going to break something that they're not aware of. And uh, because I'm sure that, you know, there's so many dependencies within that old system. They're more familiar with the new system, so they can move faster there. But um, potentially, if, you know, you had some engineer that was very familiar with the old system, you can get it, knock it out in like a week or so, right? But you don't really have all those luxuries, so you kind of make the decision with all the um, criteria you have at the time. But yeah. so that's kind of what forced that decision for me. But I seemed, think this comes. Sorry, <laughs> I think this comes back to also um, looking at you know the company objectives, and then in our right. case, we use OKRs, mm-hmm. and so that's a useful thing as well when you're making that trade-off between the decision framework. Right? Yeah, exactly yeah. between tech debt, but the short, fast thing. Does that align with your quarterly goals? Okay, then that's probably a no-brainer in some ways. Or at least you have something to point to to be like, officially, this is the sanctioned thing that we're working on, so um, we're going to go work on this, even though it introduces some tech debt. Mm. But, you know, on the flip side, if you do have something that um, is more long-term focused, uh, the longer vision of the overall, you know, technology, um, that's a nice thing, too, because then you can be like, well... We would invest that in that, mm-hmm. but it just doesn't make sense given our goals to overall improve our, you know, architecture. Right. Yeah, yeah I was just kind of agree with the fact that there is kind of this tension between what can we do to unblock us in the near term versus what might block us in the future. Yeah. I think that's what <laughs> my team has yeah. hit a little bit, where we made some decisions, you know, a year ago, where we're going to go build some new microservice outside of our, our monolithic base, everything else. Um, and that <clears throat> enabled us to move a lot more quickly at the time. We weren't dependent on legacy architecture, things that we had, you know, parts of the code base that no one really had, had looked into in a long time um, that were problematic. Um, and so we moved a lot faster then, and now we're in a place where we can't make use of certain functionality that lives inside mm-hmm. that, you know, monolithic <laughs> code base. So we're, we're kind of disconnected from certain other features of the overall product. And so uh, it's, it's just kind of interesting that we made some decisions that unblocked us quickly a year ago that have now like come back and blocked us <laughs> yeah. again. Um, 
And so, I mean, I think to some of your points, though, sometimes that makes sense to do. Like, it depends on what your goals are. uh, And depends on, like, where your product's at. Like, I think if you're trying to build something new to test, like, a proof of concept, see if users, like, respond to a new idea, um, it it might be worth taking a faster approach and then taking on some some larger tech debt later if you validated the concept, which is kind of the the route my team took. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. It's like, would you have been able to even validate the idea without having taken that shortcut? Probably. Like, I, I think it would have taken us far too long. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I'd, um, speed to market is important. It's not the most important thing, but I think had we dealt with some legacy architecture and a lot of issues and complexity that uh, we would have been facing, it could have added months, you know, like three, six, even more months um, that... Uh, just based on where the market was at and other products that were releasing features, like it, it was not the amount of time that we could really spare. And so I think we were able to get things out to our users to start validating, you know, how our how our users understand the product and understand the the strengths of it, and then the things, the weaknesses we need to address. And uh, I think that was that was the right move. Yeah. I, my next question about this whole topic is. How do you know you have enough information to make a decision in the room? So if you are in that situation where you've had you've called together this meeting, you know that you have something mm-hmm. that is blocking your progress. Yeah. And how do you know once you've reached That's that decision? That's a great decision? question. I think <laughs> some of the, the tools that we've used um, more recently in the Epic Kickoff have been, what do we need to know? Ask that question to the group to go and answer, like, or to come up with a solution. What don't we know that we need to know? And that will generate some spikes or questions that we can go answer. So maybe you can't make a decision in the room at that time, but you need these. It's dependent on these questions. Um, so that, that's one tactic that we've used. But. To kind of follow off of that, I, what I've experienced in the past is like I'd have a maybe a larger stakeholder meeting where I go over some stuff. Everybody in the room is like, oh, yeah, cool, that sounds good. Mm-hmm. And then three months later, you know, someone from another team, marketing or sales or wherever is like, you know, we totally missed this thing, or we, we didn't factor this in. What are we? What are, what's happening? This is, this is a mess. And uh, so I, I think what really helps is to have like a, a fairly in-depth written type product brief or some type of document where you outline here's what we're doing, here's why we're doing it, who we're doing it for. You know, kind of your 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 classic thing. But I think having it written out in some detail that you share, and you can share regularly, share every week. You know, again, here's here's the the document. Here's what we're doing. Um, a lot of times you'll get feedback kind of trailing those initial meetings like a week, two weeks, three weeks later where people will start to think through those things and catch those things and um, you know having a place where someone can leave comments and you can kind of go back and forth I think can help you unearth some more of those potential uh, dependencies that otherwise maybe would get overlooked. So it sounds a bit like a moving target. You know, you make a decision, and then you get more feedback, and then you make another decision, then you get more feedback. That's a great yeah. point. You're ta- like the title make- implies that like you make the decision, and then you're unblocked. And I think you're right. It's it's not quite that clean always. Yeah, yeah. It's a series of decisions, more or less. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, I think the hardest part is when you build out a long term product brief or a roadmap, and you make a lot of short term or even medium term decisions. And then you end up blocking other people and other teams. Uh, I'm certainly guilty, and I think everyone around this room has been blocked by me, uh, <laughs> especially when it comes to one of the financial products we rolled out. Yeah, I wasn't going to say anything. But <laughs> you brought it up. Uh, we brought you here for this purpose. <laughs> I was like, okay, I'm going to hide in the corner now. Uh, and 
in that case, you know, we had a very tight deadline. We were supposed to deliver this whole new financial product in six months with a bunch of uncertainty. And we made a lot of trade-offs and were able to deliver that by taking on tech debt, by building in the monolith, uh, instead of building in a microservice. But the intent was always to come back and solve that tech debt. <laughs> so it almost becomes a question of how do you work with stakeholders to make sure that a decision now doesn't impact a decision later, because in that case, the thing we were going to come back to has now been deprioritized. And a year later, it's blocking half yeah. the people in this room. Um, yeah, that's, question. that is a really good question, because I think the intent is always, we're going to come back and fix this, I promise. <laughs> like the, We'll take on this tech debt in Q4 or early or next year. PMs die by. <laughs> yeah, like I'm, I'm probably kind of doing some of that right now, where, you know, people let's defer this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Everyone, I'll, I'll be long gone. No, um, I, I think um, that is like one of the, the, the classic challenges, and one of the ways I found to get around it is uh, trick your stakeholders. Uh, trick. No, not Whoa. trick. But uh, <laughs> sometimes rebranding what you need to do can be helpful. Mm. Like I found projects often you'll get labeled. You have a project name or some you know something that you're referencing by a certain initiative. And if it was deprioritized once, it can be easy for that to seem like oh that's not important. We have this mm. new thing we want to go after. But if something is that important, you might be able to kind of readjust how you're looking at it. And so the, the way you the way you do that is you look at what goals does this solve? What problems is this fixing? Because usually that tech debt will have real consequences like, okay, well, this is going to increase load times for um, this product part of the product in the app by four seconds per page. And maybe this experience is meant to be used like in the checkout line at store or something where it's like those four seconds make or break the experience. And so Earlier on, when you have less users, you know less bandwidth is being taken up. That's not critical. But as you re- reach a certain mass, um, that can that can break your product. And so, going back to what you're solving, you know this is going to make this a fast and efficient checkout process, so that you know, we're faster than our competitors, have the best user experience. You know, kind of bringing it home to like how it impacts your users can be really effective. So, so that I think the only concern I have is actually about us as product professionals and our longevity at a company. Mm-hmm. At many companies I've seen a PM come in, introduce something, and potentially leave after a year or two. So how do we <laughs> that's, not that's yeah, hurt ourselves and hurt the company basically by making a decision year one? Yeah, I think yeah. Um, one of the best ways to do it is documentation. Like having very thorough, in-depth documentation, even decision logs of like why we made decisions, why we did things this way. Because I think part of the thing coming into a company that has a monolithic architecture is like, how did we get there? <laughs> like, why did we make these decisions to do it this way? And then trying to understand, oh, then this piece is tied to this, or we made this decision because of this. And um, if we understand that, and even how things work a little more clearly, then it's much easier for us to like navigate or... Um, if if a PM leaves, you know, it's easy to go back and read through the documentation and see like, oh, okay, that makes a little more sense, or you know. But yeah, I think documentation is, is part of it, so that there's written historical context, um, and then diagrams. Diagrams. I, I think tying it into like some type of product brief mentality as well. Of mm-hmm. how does this impact our users, our business, our clients? Um, how will this hurt us negatively or how much 
could we gain by doing this and why should this be like a contender on the roadmap moving forward um, making sure it doesn't just get lost as some random thing that didn't get done but is something very meaningful to the business I, I don't know that's a, that's a great question I don't know that I have a good answer for that one well and, and Jamie I'd be curious to to get your thoughts because going back to the, the topic of conversation I feel like there has been a lot of that that's kind of gotten tossed over a fence and put on your plate where go solve this thing you know you have this super long-term vision but people have dropped in and out made a lot of decisions and not documented well so you've probably gotten blocked quite a few times just by previous decisions so how have you handled that when you don't have documentation um yeah it's it's a difficult problem because the thing that i'm working on is so foundational to the entire business and so as a result um, anytime we try to roll out something new the expectations are really high that we have a lot of functionality out of the box um, so in terms of discovering you know the status of a project and where it's been dropped um, it's been challenging at times sometimes I'll find out something you know a deep into the project and I'm like where where was this information right. at the start <laughs> Um, I, I, you kind of have to move forward with a little bit of um, blank slate mindset um, to be like, I know this is a problem, let me go discover why it's a problem and talk to stakeholders, talk to um, users and um, really get their perspective. And then a lot of it too is talking to you know system experts, people who I know who have been at the company for quite some time and can uh, reasonably walk through some of the old decisions that they've made. Having those kind of legacy partners at the company has been really, really critical. Uh, they're they're very uh, knowledgeable and nice resources to have for me to be able to figure out um, who to talk to, and um, you know to find out a little bit more of the history and then see what their perspective is going forward. Yeah, I agree. That that was critical because if you're lacking documentation or anything like that, getting someone in the room that has built the system or yeah. has been included in those decisions, I think that's the other way that we can kind of, you know, move things forward or un, um, uncover unknowns for us is just to kind of get them in a room and have them diagram or talk through why they made these decisions. Or, yeah. Yeah, and sometimes that's just lucky. I mean, a lot of times people have left and, you know, I think some a, a problem we've seen, although it's getting better over time, but it's like the like hit by a bus problem yeah. where a you know engineer, a critical engineer leaves, and yeah. then everyone throws their arms up and <laughs> says, you know, what what were they doing that were that was keeping this thing afloat? <laughs> um, so I I think it's getting better um, over time, but yeah, that's that's a, a another thorn in the hole. Yeah, well, you, you also brought up another thing that you're building something that is basically already existing and already has all this previous functionality. Yeah. It's kind of the difference between what Zach was talking about, more of a greenfield project where he's trying to um, prove product market fit, essentially, right? Or like prove the val uh, um, prove his solution out versus us where there's already the solution there and we're kind of planning for something different like we are planning for scale mm -hmm. or those other things which is definitely a different problem to have in those and why we make those decisions yeah i mean the decisions that are, are the things that can kind of block decision making can be very different like one like in in some of those cases it's you know what systems maybe need to be interacting or what groups mm -hmm. might have uh, need to have more say, whereas with a, a newer project, it's often things like 
how should this thing even even work? What should right, exactly. this, this yeah. feature do? A bunch and, of different problems, I think. Yeah, and um, I think that can be challenging when there's ambiguity if you don't know what your users want at all. And so I would say that there's a couple of things to help with that. One is it's better to be decisive and move forward quickly than to spend too much time going back and forth. You're likely going to get a lot of things wrong for a Greenfield project anyway. Um, better to try something, find out you're wrong, and then reorient than spend weeks and weeks or even months going back and forth. Well, actually kind of building off of that, a kind of question for the group. So I'm running into something similar right now, um, less so on make a decision, but more on there's three or four different paths we can take now. One could be improve this thing, build something new, um, et cetera. And so in the absence of data, how do you make a decision uh, to go forward? Yeah, well, I, I'll, I'll try and find, if I don't have like quant solid quantitative data, I'll try to find even the barest amount of qualitative data, something to give you an edge for your argument beyond just, I think we should do this. And that can be, we you know, went along with some of our users as they tried to use this thing. One of our users you know, made this interesting comment. That can, things like that can help sway the argument when there's no clear winner. Um, the other thing I think is just for the sake of speed saying, we have four potential ways to improve this. These two we think more directly affect say priority metric number one, whereas the next two affect priority metric number two. So we're gonna look at these two first. So maybe we'll do an A-B test with both of these, or if you only have time for one of them, say we only have time for one. So we're gonna pick this one and then we'll test this one next, depending on the results we see. And so making it clear that you have a plan for how you're going to go after all of those problems and even just showing that you have logic and reasoning as to why you've selected the option you're going for can help move your decision forward generally. It goes back to the earlier part of this conversation when we were talking about the trade-offs between the long-term and the tech debt and the short-term and um, one way of you know validating that you have an idea that works is to really make that trade-off and to invest in that short-term tech debt but at least you can you know test you can do that A-B test. You can do the test among four different options, and um, that'll give you some of that data that you're looking for. So the other question I'd be kind of curious of from people is stakeholder management when it comes to decisions as well. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times we will get blocked because we're waiting on a decision, potentially from a stakeholder or multiple stakeholders. Mm -hmm. So if, say, you know, the CTO or head product or marketing is out and you need their feedback. So it's a decision, you know, that requires that level of input and has decision permanence. How do you handle that? And how do you keep a team moving potentially or going forward in the absence of a decision? I, I think putting timelines on when you need the decision is, is helpful because it, it creates a sense of urgency. Um, I mean, if they're out, that's a different thing. Um, but, I mean, they should have someone to delegate that decision to. Mm -hmm. um, for instance, we're putting forward a, um, about ad measurement guidelines. And in order to do that, we need some consensus on how we should be triggering these different events. So I put that document out this week and I said, comment period ends on Monday. So now I've actually got people interacting more quickly now. And there's mm -hmm. no pushback on the time because um, there is some timeline instead of just having a vague comment period and who knows when it's going to end. And um, I think that's been helpful for me to yeah. kind of force the decision a bit. I, I totally agree with that. For like more permanent, large-scale decisions that are harder to change, um, getting ahead of those a little bit in advance and then setting some kind of type of deadline where it's mm -hmm. like, 
please review, you know, if it's your CTO, your head of product, you know, your head of engineering, folks like that, please review. Um, uh, any, and, you know, if you don't have anything to add to this, we'll go forward with this after X date. Otherwise, please leave comments we can discuss and, and adjust as necessary. And that kind of gives it a sense of we're going to go do this unless you look at this and, and, and give us your input, which tends to be more effective, I think, than just, hey, can you can you look at this? Um, and then the other thing, and you kind of implied this a little bit, but really evaluate, is the thing you're doing something that is so permanent that you, know, you really need their input? Let's say they're out for a week and something has come up. A lot of times if something comes up like that in the moment, you might be able to make a decision that can be changed later. And so if you can do something that you could, you know, change back you know in a relatively short period of time make the decision based off the data you have and you can explain that reasoning uh, to your stakeholder when, when they return and if it wasn't the right decision you know back it up with why you chose to do that and then acknowledge that maybe it didn't turn out to be the right decision and you know find a way to, to change it that uh, recording that decision log right I think that was um, that's important I don't know how if, if any of us have done that in practice but um definitely want to try doing that more i tried that for a while yeah. it's hard to maintain this i know problem. yeah you're right yeah because there are a lot of decisions yeah, so, yeah yeah you're always moving fast if someone has like a tool or some kind of software for that <laughs> that makes it <laughs> not feel like the biggest burden in the world i would be open to that yeah. <laughs> please comment if you yeah. accept something <laughs> well um yeah i guess final thoughts um would just be make decisions quickly most of the time and you can always revisit them. It's better to make a decision than to sit in an ambiguous world too long. I think as a product manager, that's a big part of our job. For something much bigger, try and put timelines, time box it so that you can get the input you need in a, in a shorter period of time. Yeah, and try to keep a log if you can. If you have any tools out there, please let us know. Maybe um, that's your homework. Yeah, that's Start the homework. Start a decision log. <laughs> See how it goes. Yeah. <laughs> cool. I like that homework. Awesome. Well, thanks for joining us uh, for Product Coffee. Uh, now go level up. Mm -hmm.